What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a huge thank you, as always, to the people who keep this show going. That's our listeners, not least our patrons over on Patreon and our academies on the Bestseller Academy. And hey, look, if you want to get involved in the Bestseller Academy, doors are opening well, they're closing. They're doing something, Mr. D. It's early July, isn't it? Whatever it is, they've got right now. Go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Mr. D, what's happening? Tell yeah, us. Yeah, that's tell right. Us. So we've opened the doors. We've opened the doors for people to apply over the next couple of weeks and uh, applications for the intake, the July 1st intake, close at the end of June. And we've already had people from all over the world applying. It's, it's so ex- I love this time of year. So exciting to see who's, who's joining us for... Uh, you know, starting in the summer months, there's a lot of people who, you know, get an opportunity during the summer to to think about writing a book, or maybe they. A lot of people, actually, interestingly, one of the things I've heard a lot about are people who've had the failed New Year's resolutions. You probably know a few of those, Mister Stacey, right? <laughs> right. The people, at, the people on New Year's Eve over a glass of uh, you know uh, champagne say, right, this year, this next year is going to be the year that I'm going to finally write that book or finish that book. And it's a really common theme that we hear over and over again. And mm. do you know, it struck me the other day that we're almost halfway through this year. And I just cannot, mm. I can't believe it. I just felt the other day that summer had arrived. And then I looked at my calendar and thought, we've got a few more days to the longest day of the year. And then it's going to be turning. It catches me every year. So part, part of the reason why we open the academy up um, before the summer is there's a lot of people who, you know, are thinking, well, you know, we're halfway through the year. It's not over yet. A lot of people write the year off and they just say, well, I'll wait till next year. Like life mm. will not wait for us as we will find out, you know, in, in the interview today, you know, um, incredible stories of, of how, you know, pe- people's lives can turn around unexpectedly. So I'm going to encourage everyone out there who's been thinking, sitting on the fence about maybe this should be their year to, to really step up. Yeah. Um, and that's what the Academy is there. It's there to support people through that journey. And, oh my gosh, the people we have in there, if you imagine the, the average awesome person listens to this podcast and then you put them all in a room together and multiply it by what, <laughs> 50. That's how awesome the Academy members are. So I just want to thank everyone who's here doing it. It's been nearly two years since, since it started and it's just been incredible. The stories that we've heard. Crikey. Yeah. Exciting yeah. stuff. How yeah. are you, sir? How are you? There's a lot going on in your world with the books, uh, impending release dates of books. 
Yeah, well, uh, yes, I've got a book out in a few weeks. I'm getting ready for that. I've, funny enough, I've just been speaking to a guy earlier today about live streaming the book launch as well, which I mm. uh, wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it, but I'm talking to a guy who thinks he knows how he can do it and do it properly in a way that people can interact and send us questions and all that good fun stuff. So um, keep an eye out on my socials for that. Uh, that should be lots of good fun. Uh, what else is happening? So, oh, the German edition of Babes in the Wood. That's the second Woodville book. The German edition, which is called Nachtzalba, Night Magic. That's out this week. That's really exciting. Wow. So, that's uh, fun. Already, already seeing uh, lots of um, book bloggers on Instagram saying nice things about it, which is which is wonderful. You've got Google, trans- you got a- Google Translate in like uh, on steroids right now, have you? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, actually... <laughs> Instagram, a couple of weeks ago, something happened to Instagram yeah. where it, it took away the, there's a little C translation button at the bottom of mm. any foreign language thing. They took it away and I was like, oh, blimey. So, you know, uh, and it wouldn't allow you to copy the text either. So I mm. had to fire up my laptop, go on Instagram on the desktop and copy and paste it there. But it's back. It's back as of a couple of days ago. So, you know what you um, need? You know what I need, Mark? You need like German Siri. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be brilliant. That would be absolutely brilliant. Uh-huh. Yeah, translation through silly. But uh, the cherry on the cake this week is Harry Goldhawk, who does the cover art uh, for the books in the UK, uh, the Simon Schuster English Language Editions, um, just kind of out of the blue. He's, he's working on his portfolio, and he decided just to do a couple of illustrations of uh, the crow folk, so the scarecrows in the crow folk, mm-hmm. and uh, a scene of Faye from the very end of the book, and they are magical they're just wow. absolutely wonderful so i've i've um i popped them up on on my blog and on my social so that people can see them and and if you want to check out harry's other stuff because harry uh we've got his calendar here we we, we get his calendar every year and it's it, he works with his wife they do beautiful artwork for that so i'll pop, pop, pop a link in so you can check out his other work but yeah just completely out of the blue he's like i'm working on my portfolio thought i'd do a couple of illustrations and That's it's so it's cool just wonderful really it's wonderful. almost grown you know i know you'll love this mark but i remember admiring artwork of star wars over the years and, and there's all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah. incredible fan artwork and and, and official mm. artwork but it, it creates a whole additional universe to what is the stories of these things and to actually start to see that happening with your books is, is pretty exciting stuff isn't it it's um it's lovely really, to really get is. those kind of interpretations and uh, it's so much more than just a book when it all starts to kick off, I mean, this is the thing we forget as writers, you know, we're all grinding away at the writing desk, but these types of things, you can, you would never have predicted this, would you, before you started Woodville, that you'd suddenly an artist would just out the blue create a few images of, of the world that you've created. That's all kinds of awesome. It's amazing. And it's, um, I've got, Stuff I can't talk about, but there will be other art on the way as well. So uh, stand by, beards, folks. There's a lot of stuff going on in Mr. Stay's world right there, isn't there, listener? You can, there's a lot you can't talk about, there which is, is that's where you want to get. There's so much okay, I can't talk about. That's just, just for everyone listening, just for everyone listening, we're here to inspire you on this podcast. And when you hear the words, I can't really talk about it yet. That means some really cool things are happening in your world. That's the kind of place everyone wants to get to. Everyone wants to be in that place where they can't talk about stuff because there's contracts that need to be signed and agreements that need to happen and all kinds of other things. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited to hear more. I'll, I'll drop in. I'll drop in some. I'll drop in some teases. Easter eggs. I'll, I'll just yeah, Easter egg teasers uh, of things that I can't talk about this week. But one word is can can film festival. Uh, the other Ooh. word is. Com- he yeah. says the other word is 
is composers. Uh, that's very exciting. Um, yeah, so uh, th- I'll just drop those two words in there and oh. walk away like a big oh. tease. <laughs> okay, so we should have this like bingo game where every week people collect the words and start to like, you know, maybe write them down on a piece of paper and then start sending us their suggestions of what the hell they think is going on in your world right now. And then you find out if it's <laughs> if it's true or completely off the mark. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's brilliant. And it's super exciting. It's super exciting. And, you know, this is what it's about, folks. It's about, it's about making things happen. Um, it's about, you know, taking the opportunities when they arise. And, uh, yeah. you know, we hope everyone out there this week, okay, goal for everyone, Coach Mark, Mr. D., Coach Mark says to everyone out there right now, set yourself one, write down one big thing that you want to happen in your writing career. And it might not be the classic, you know, the, okay, I'm going to finish the book this year, or I'm going to find an agent, I'm going to find a publisher. It could be something bonkers like, you know, in two years from now, I would like to, you know, have an artist create the front cover of my book. Or Mm. actually one really beautiful email we got this week. And actually, Mark, we're getting these more and more, aren't we? Um, my, I, we got a lovely, a lovely email from a, a, a listener, uh, who said, my goal is to get on the bestseller experiment. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I've had about, I'm not kidding you. I've had about four or five of those in the last three or four weeks. And I love, I love that authors are thinking like that because, um, it's, it's important to, to, to have some tangible some tangible goals, you know, finishing a book's quite an intangible goal at times because you sometimes don't quite know how many more words you're going to be writing or how long the edits are going to take, as we'll discover today in our interview. Mm. But, you know, something like, a, 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 I always say in, in coaching, when you create a goal, if I ask you in five years, have you accomplished it? You have to answer the question, yes or no. You can't say, well, kind of (laughs) that's why so if you if your goal is a well maybe then you've got to redefine it as a if mark d asks you have you accomplished it now have you been on the best experiment yes or no there's a yes or no answer to that you know have you finished world building well maybe (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) well look folks if you want you want to hear some of those tangible goals that have been achieved hang around to the end of the podcast we've got a bumper social media section at the end where some of our members of the academy and our bxp group on facebook and being doing some really really amazing things so hang around for that and get inspired we better rock on mr mr s if we've got a ton of social media we better get into this awesome interview we've got today so Tell us about our wonderful guest today. Our guest today is Patricia Gibney, uh, who is a crime author from Westmeath in Ireland. Uh, her, she's published by uh, Bookachaw, and Bookachaw, I mean, we've had plenty of uh, Bookachaw authors on here before, but th- they just seem like one of the best publishers around. They really seem to know their stuff. And it was recently announced that Patricia's uh, Detective Lottie Parker series uh, have sold over two million copies and the latest of those is the guilty girl and patricia was just such a delight to speak to and we discuss amongst many other things we discuss working with an editor to create ideas why she's a right everyday kind of author and how a children's book that she wrote in a very um difficult time in her life how that book changed everything brilliant stuff well let's dive in and listen to mark chatting with the absolutely lovely patricia gibney Patricia Gibney, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. And we're here, Bookature, your wonderful publisher, Bookature, recently announced 
two million sales of your Detective Lottie Parker series. Uh, we doff our caps to you. Huge congratulations to you. How does that feel? It um, feels amazing. Um, I still can't believe it. You know, to me, um, you know, these numbers kept going up and going up. And when I actually heard it was two million, I was absolutely just astounded. I, and I'm still kind of trying to visualize like the number <laughs> in my head. But I, I mean, I'm so grateful to Book Couture and to all my readers um, for getting me to that, that milestone. Well, I, I think you're just getting warmed up, to be honest, because we've got a new book in your Lottie Parker series, The Guilty Girl, which is book 11 in the series. So uh, many more sales to come. Tell us about The Guilty Girl. Well, The Guilty Girl came about, um, I had a brainstorming session with my editor, Lydia Vassar-Smith, and I told her I had this idea um, about somebody that was being accused of a crime and, um, and it looked, you know, all the evidence was pointing to this person had committed the crime. But Lottie has this gut feeling that there's something, you know, there's something else going on. And I was partly inspired by the um, Amanda Kircher, um, is it Meredith Kircher and the Amanda Knox case? Right. Um, so, you know, it was just like an idea came from that. And it, the whole brainstorming uh, with my editor, we were able to um, flesh it out a bit more. And as I started writing it then, the story is somewhat different from what I had at the beginning, but that was the, the germ of an idea that got me started. I love that you're brainstorming with your editor. Is is that something you do at the very earliest stage just to make sure you're, you're both delivering? You're delivering what they're looking for, or is it a two-way two -way process? It's a two-way process, and it's only really started with, I'd say, the last two books, two or three books. Um, I got, to, I think during lockdown, I got to a stage where I felt I couldn't write. I got it very hard to, um, you know, while other people were getting so really creative in lockdown, my creativity went out the window. Mm. And I just found that I, I couldn't write. I couldn't come up with an idea. And so Lydia rang me one day, and we just went through, you know, like, you know, what about this? What about that? And... Um, we came up with an idea. It was for the last two books back, Silent Silent um, Voices. And once I had that brainstorming session with Lydia, I had the idea to start start the book. So we did it then for book 10, um, Little Bones, and we've just done it now as well uh, before I started um, The Guilty Girl. So it, it's working so far. Um, and I think it's good, as you say, we're kind of on the same page from the start and then when I get to about 30,000 words, um, I send her what I've written so far and she would say, this is working, that's not working. Um, and it cuts down then on structural edits, you know, when yeah. the, the draft goes into her. Yeah. That's an amazing thing because you think certainly someone who's 11 books into a series, sold 2 million copies, you have every right to sit back and go, nope, I know what I'm doing. Leave me to it. Let me get on with it. But that's incredibly collaborative and... and uh, I, so is this do you do you foresee carrying on like this is, is is this a great way of working for you do you enjoy this I enjoy it yeah and it probably wouldn't have come about uh, unless we'd had the lockdown because I was in you know I was on a roll I was you know writing two books a year everything was going grand and then just suddenly it was like I can't do this you know mm. I was terrified um so it's worked with the these three books so um I think it helps in the editing process then as well 
um, that she she kind of knows what I'm at because up to then I was terrified of showing what I was writing to anyone, um, even to her, like, like, no, no, I can't show you until I'm finished. I can't show you until I'm finished, you know. So I'm kind of a bit more relaxed about it now. And I'm not as, I don't treat it as precious as much, you know, as I used to. And it's easier then to let it go. Excellent stuff. As we said, you're 11 books into the series uh, with Lottie Parker. How has Lottie changed and evolved over the course of those 11 books? She's changed quite a lot. Um, When I started writing Lottie first, um, she was very... um, she was at the very beginning of a grieving process for her husband who had died. I think in the first book was like three and a half years previously. And so she was kind of floundering around, didn't know what she was at, trying to keep her kids uh, on the straight and narrow and try and keep her job. And um, as Corden, as the books were going on, she was getting more, um, she was beginning to understand what was going on in her life. Like she didn't realize she was in a grieving process and she was all over the shop, all over the place. So now she's a bit more, um, what would you say, level-headed, um, kind of looking for what does she want out of her life. Um, she is still uh, the type of person who gets stuck into a case um, to the detriment of what's going on at home. <laughs> and uh, she uh, has developed a good bit. And then she's this on-off relationship with her, as we call sidekick, um, Sergeant Boyd in, in the story as well. So that's an ongoing story. But I think she's a stronger character. She's still the mav- a bit of a maverick and does what she wants to do. And to hell with the, the superintendent, you know. <laughs> but um, readers keep keep you know, contacting me like, you know, what's going to happen next? And they're loving Lottie. So I think she's she's developing in the right way. Excellent. Uh, how much does that kind of reader feedback colour what you write next? If people will tell you, oh, I liked this about her, I didn't like that about her, does that does that sort of play on you as, as you're writing the next book? Not anymore. At the beginning, it did. You know, mm. I I would be some readers would be saying, "Oh, that shouldn't happened," or you know, she, you know, why would she do that? And I'd be thinking, "Oh my god, like maybe I shouldn't have, you know, put that into the book. Maybe Lottie should have done something." Um, but now I don't. You know, I just take you know, I take the feedback. If there's something that I think, "Oh yeah," you know, that that really you know hits a nerve, um, I would run with it. But in the main, you know. It's 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 my baby. I have to kind yes. of wean it and help it to grow, you know. So I wouldn't be influenced unless there was something that I, I really felt worthy of, you know, changing or whatever. Excellent stuff. I want to go back to a time I, I read somewhere that a, f- a few decades ago, while you still had a day job, you did write a first novel that I don't believe anyone has seen. It didn't go anywhere. Can you can you tell us how it all started for you? Well, I suppose I'm one of these people who always wanted to write a book. And like I'm I'm an avid reader from when I was little and when my father used to read me stories and then when I could join the library and get my own library card and my own books. So I absolutely love mystery stories. And I always had this idea, well, I'd love to write one of them. And I never really had an opportunity, but I'd say about 25, maybe 30 years ago, I got a PC, you know, it was my first PC. I think I bought it through work where you could pay every week for it, you know, one of the old style (laughs) uh, PCs and decided I was going to write this book. And the kids were small and I was, you know, every hour I could get, I was on the laptop. They probably don't remember now because they were little ones, but um, I wrote this book anyhow. I used to take my annual leave from work and rather than go on a holiday, I'd sit and I'd write. Uh, I have no idea how long it took me or you know anything, but um, 
it I printed it out so it was like you know that height of, of double space <laughs> and, and I read back and I said well I'll do something with that someday but then the, you know the kids were getting older and I don't even know where it is now and it's probably stuck <laughs> on, a, on the hard drive of, a, of my PC in a, a landfill somewhere at this day. right <laughs> now I think back that maybe that is the book that I had to get out of my <laughs> and right. I just had, you know, probably just so bad that it would have just finished my writing career. <laughs> <laughs> what were the what were the most important lessons that you'd learned from writing that book? Oh God. Um the time it was taken. Um right. uh planning planning it out. Um I set it in a city wh- where I wasn't familiar with, um, which you know, with my Lottie Parker books now, they're all located in the town of Ragmullen, which is loosely based on where I live. So uh, I happen to be going looking up maps and, and all of that type of thing. Um, but really, it was the commitment to it that I felt, you know, by writing that book, I really had to give up so much of my time to write it. Um, and back then, I wouldn't have had the motivation to keep keep going with it that I would have now. Excellent stuff. And can you tell us about Spring Sprong Sally? Spring Sprong Sally, uh, well, I, I do a bit of art. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't do much of it now, but I, I used to do, you know, a bit of drawing and painting. But after my husband died back in 2009, um, I went through a particularly bad time in my life and I had to give up my, my day job. Um, and how I came out of that was uh, by doing these morning pages um it's from the book the artist's way julia cameron's book mm-hmm. and in that it was all about you know using your creativity making time for yourself writing your morning pages um and i started to do a little bit of drawing a little bit of writing and the first my first foray was to do a little children's book so i did the drawings for spring sprung sally and i wrote a little story and it'd be like for a preschool age group maybe three four year old and I decided I was going to self-publish it in uh my uh my bit of madness that I was going through at the time and I couldn't do the business side of it I I floundered with that um I couldn't you know do the invoicing or the following up or you know it was just all it was all going above my head Mm. and I think it was because I worked for all my life in administration Mm. and I could not do the administration side of um, the self-publishing. Um, and I think I do say to me, it's like a bit of PTSD after Aidan had died, that that side of my brain was, it just didn't work anymore. Even right. to this day, you know, I just find it hard, so hard to do uh, paperwork. Um, so then that was the end of Spring Sprung Sally. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the kiddies loved it and people had often asked me, is there going to be another Spring Sprung Sally? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, but, but as you yeah. say, this, this, you had this terrible tragedy in your life. And as you say, you, you sort of almost shut off that admin, that side mm. of your brain, but you embraced this creative side. And yeah. as you say, you work with books like The Artist's Way. If 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 you're okay talking about it, I know it's 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 a really really horrible time. You, your your husband died in in 2009. You left your job, um, and you took I think five years to to write that first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that must have been 
I, I can't even begin to imagine what you were going through, but it, that, that can't have been easy. What, what kept you going? Well, what I found was writing the morning pages, I suppose, as you call nowadays, is journaling. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to write these three pages every morning, and it's like just a stream of consciousness onto the page. Right. And like I was going through this grieving process, but didn't know what I was going through, a bit like my character. Um, so I was getting all these emotions down on the page and, uh, you know, the anger and the annoyance and, you know, roaring at the whole world, you know, like why me and why Aiden and, you know, all, you know, all of the things that would go through your head. Um, and I found then that it was really um, therapeutic. Mm. Um, I was able to get up out of the bed then and do my days, you know, with the kids and whatever they were doing and cook a dinner um just to, to do to be able to do the little basic things in life had been beyond me for about 12 months and through journaling I was able to give myself a bit of focus and as I was writing that and I did my Springs Frank Sally I said well maybe now is my time to try and write a novel um and I, I still believe if I hadn't been writing the morning pages, there never would have been a Lottie Parker. Because mm. when I started writing the novel, then I was able to pour a lot of the emotion that I was going through into her character. And she, um, I suppose she grew out of what I was going through mm. emotionally, you know, like this feeling of, I don't know what's going on around me, like, you know, um, and just kind of trying to put one foot in front of the other, trying to do her, do her job, trying to keep her kids fed and, you know, whatever. Um, so I found that really, really therapeutic. And as I was writing it, I I didn't know what I was doing. I, even though I'd written this other book about 25 years ago, I didn't know, is this right? Is this wrong? How do you, I, I could read crime novels that's why I kind of was a crime novel I was going to write because that's what I read mainly. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't know how to structure it. I had no idea. Um, I think that was partly why it took me five years to write it. Mm. But I decided then I'd become a little bit of a hermit. You know, I, I just didn't like going out. Um, but I just decided I would do some writing courses. And most of the writing courses were in Dublin. So I had to get in my car. I had to drive to Dublin. And you meet so many people who are on they're doing the same thing as you and then you begin to realize well maybe I'm not crackers after all (laughs) you know (laughs) they're like-minded people they understand what I'm trying to do you know and um that was really good so that was kind of kind of learning the the craft of you know how to structure a book you know um to develop your characters your plot that type of thing Mm. um so when I finished it well I thought I was finished um I decided I'd get a manuscript appraisal so I sent it off and I got back I don't know many pages it was pages and pages <laughs> of this appraisal <laughs> and uh, it was um eye-opening right. um I think I cried I think I cried when I got it uh but then I realized yeah yeah like it needs more more work so it took about another year to kind of whip it into shape and because of my experience with the self-publishing and I am a huge admirer of anybody who can self-publish and mm. get their book out there. And because I know the amount of work that goes in, yeah. you know, behind the scenes on it. You know, writing the book is just one part of it. Um, and I just know that I, I'm not able to do the other part of it. So with the novel, then I decided, well, I'm going to get an agent and I'm going to get someone to publish it for me because I can't, I can't do this myself. Mm. Um 
having no idea like how to even go about getting an agent um but I did I did I was the first agent I sent it to um sign me up so whoa that was yeah <laughs> whoa actually Patricia if you listen if you listen you can hear all of our listeners who haven't got an agent yet grinding their teeth that was that was incredible that was inc- how did you select uh your agent was that a careful process um she was recommended to me by one of the tutors on the one of the writing courses. So um, at least I had a name to start with. Mm. So I was um, the agent was Gerald Nickel of the Book Bureau, and she contacted me um, after about two weeks to say she was sorry she was taken um, so long and that she loved uh, the book. And I was saying. You know, is it my book? You know, <laughs> two weeks. I've been I've been told like it could be six months before you hear back. Yeah, yeah. And so that was in November, and in the January I signed with her, January two thousand sixteen. Wow. Sending out the book process starts. You know the mm. the rejection letters. <laughs> that is part and parcel of the whole the whole thing. You know. Do you do you recall how many how many rejections you got? Um, I'd say I got seven or eight. Before Bukatur contacted us, um, it was at the time like you know what I call positive rejections. Right. You know, it was like um, the writing is good, but it's not for us. You know, you mm. know. The, so I was kind of uh, you know com- you know consoling myself, saying, "Well, they're not saying I'm a bad writer." You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when Bukatur contacted us, uh, basically they want to know had I anything else. And in my um, madness, I was actually writing book two because I felt the Lottie Parker character was strong enough to withstand two books. Right. Um, so that's what I thought at the beginning, anyhow. And uh, so I sent them the synopsis of the second book and <laughs> they came back and they wanted me to sign a contract for four. And <sighs> so that was four. So I had one and a bit written and then four. So I was basically going to write two books a year. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd be able to manage that. Like, forgetting that it was after taking me five years to write the first one, like, you know. Um, and we, we signed with Bukatur, um, who are a digital publisher. And um, that's when I realized um, the editing process mm. and the amount of time it takes. Uh, and I just couldn't understand, like, that you have your structural edits, your line edits, your copy edits, your proofreading. Mm. And because it was digital, and um, they do print on demand as well. So there was two versions to be proof. I just couldn't believe it. I said, how am I going to write two books a year and edit two books as well? <laughs> but I did it. Um, so I think the fact that I didn't know anything about it um, was a good thing, yes. you know, in, in the beginning. You know, if somebody came to me now and said, I want to sign you for four books and it's two books a year, I'd be saying, well, wait now, <laughs> hold on a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a little bit too much you know so yeah it was it was good like um and it kept you know the series fresh the fact that I was writing so close books so close together and there's a short timeline in between the books mm-hmm. um you know kept characters fresh in my mind um and like even during lockdown like I signed another contract and I got it changed to one book a year because I just found it so hard to write mm. a kind of um like book 11 is coming out and i'm already writing book 12 yeah whereas like two years ago i was hardly able to write one book you know so i think it causes phases you know the different outside world can affect 
can affect your your mental health, can affect what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you just have to, you know, sit back and find some new way of doing it. Absolutely. I see that you're a right everyday writer. Was that always the case or is it something you adopted in order to keep up with, uh, you know, two books a year, one book a year? I think it came from writing the morning pages. And right. I, I can only write in the mornings now. And yeah, I found... Um, it kept the book fresh. It kept my characters fresh because uh, I have an awful memory. I, I forget everything. Um, so if I left the book for a week and went back, I'd have to read everything I wrote because I wouldn't even remember the names of my characters. <laughs> and it's got worse in the last two years, I suppose. It's just when everything else is going on. Um, so I just find it benefits me to write every day. Um, and it keeps that muscle in the brain going as well. Mm. You know, it just um, it suits me. But when I'm editing now, like, you know, if I'm doing edits, I will just leave it. You know, I might just open the laptop, read a little bit of what I wrote and the other story. But I don't want the two stories getting mixed up in my head. Mm. Um, like I'd have a core set of characters that are in all of the books, but then I'd have this whole raft of new characters. So I just need to kind of park that one side and just do my editing and then go back to my writing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I've also heard that you finish mid-sentence at the end of your writing day in order to pick up from where you started. Is, is that something you still do? I've, I've used that. I still do that, yeah. I don't do it all the time now, but I used to, I used to do it. Um, it was something I read somewhere that said if you, if, if you finish you know, in the middle of a sentence, when you go back in, like you only have a little paragraph to read and you're able to pick it up much quicker. Um, I don't do it as much now. Um, I kind of more, I have more of a rhythm going. And once I can remember what I've written the day before, uh, but I think for somebody starting out with that, I think I think it is a good advice um, to try and leave it, you know, something hanging. So that when you go back into it, you're not just faced with the start of a chapter, or, mm. you know, start from scratch again, and you're able to get in and start writing immediately, you know. So I Absolutely. think it's good. It, it is good advice. Yeah. I, I also know that you've you've done your fair share of acting on stage. Has that helped <laughs> oh, you as a writer in sort of getting into character and creating characters? Oh God, it's a long time since I did a bit of acting. Um, yeah, yeah, I like drama. I was involved with the Art Centre here um, in Mullingar, and um, I actually ran it for two years as well. Um, with regards to characters and coming up with characters, I I don't know what it is with me, but I can once I have a character and a situation. The character comes alive for me. Right. I don't know whether it's the same for other writers, but it's like I can visualize this character. I can have a conversation with them. So maybe it does come from the drama about kind of taking on a different persona. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I find once I have this scenario or a scene and there's a character has to do something in it, then I know what that character is like. I know what they're what they're thinking even mm. I know what they have to wear you know so it comes nearly fully formed to me and possibly yeah maybe the bit of acting subconsciously is is helping yeah. me there excellent stuff one thing we have in common uh, Patricia is uh, we are both everyday oh. kindness authors uh, you've got a story in here broken wing can you can you tell us about that yeah, um, I used to write short stories. Um, and like while I was writing The Missing Ones, my first book, um, I entered a few short story competitions. And it was only when I actually won one that I felt, you know, it gives you a little bit of a boost to mm. think that you can, um, you, you're able to write, let's say. Um, but when I agreed to do a story for um, Everyday Kindness with uh, Louise Ross, I found it so hard to write 
you know, from writing like a 115,000 word novel to write something that's down like under 3,000 words. I can't remember, was it 3,000 or 1,500 words, whatever it was. Oh, my God. I said, yeah. like, how, how can I write a short story? <laughs> so it was really, really difficult yeah. um, because it was something that I hadn't been doing, like for maybe the last five or six years, I ha- hadn't written a short story. Um so it took quite a bit of editing and, you know, chopping stuff out of it to get the story <laughs> to work. Um, but it's kind of it was based on um, an incident from my childhood. So I kind of I, I had, you know, the characters of the grandmother and which would have been my grandmother and of the child. Um, like there's a lot of fiction woven in around it as well. Um, but I found it so difficult to mm. um, actually, you know, get the words to compact what I wanted to write into um, a short story. It's, it's a different kind of um, skill set, I think. Yeah. No, I, I had exactly the same problem. There's there's a huge difference between waffling on for 80,000 words and then trying to cram <laughs> it all into 5,000. Every single word counts. So, yeah, it was really, really hard. But a wonderful a wonderful book, folks, and we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to discover more about that. Uh, Patricia, what's coming next for you? Are we going to be seeing more Lottie Parker adventures? I have three more to write, and um, so there will be at least three more after The Guilty Girl and possibly more after that. We'll see how how long I can um, keep Lottie fresh and relevant, and as long as the readers and my publisher (laughs) still want her. Um, I have loads of ideas, like the... That bit of stagnation that came with the start of lockdown is kind of it's it's slowly because now we're we're kind of out of it and I know there's another COVID wave at the moment but it's kind of like something it's kind of relieved or a lever has been relieved on my brain and I just yeah. I have more ideas like I kind of have ideas for the next two or three anyhow whereas for a while there I just thought how am I ever going to put a word onto a laptop again you know yeah. I, I had a very, very similar feeling at the beginning of, of lockdown myself, and it was short stories that, that got me out of that hole. But its uh, I don't think you're alone there. But it's, it's great to see that you're having such a terrific success uh, with the Lottie Parker books, and, and here's to many, many more. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us, which I think a lot of people will find inspirational. So thank you so much for speaking to us, Patricia, and hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks a million, Mark. It was very enjoyable and lovely to speak with you. Do you know what, Mark? The more I hear interviews like this, the more I think we all should be writing detective series. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Well, it's It's funny you should say that. We had had, uh, craft coaching on the academy on Monday and someone asked, uh, you know, what, what is it about, you know, what, what, let's talk about bestsellers. What are bestsellers? And I, I did some deep dives into uh, research that people have done. And actually crime thrillers make up about half of the genres that are bestsellers. People do love a crime thriller. So, you know, but it, the, the flip side of that is it's incredibly competitive to, you know, it's very overcrowded. So to do what Patricia's done and stand out, you know, be outstanding in that crowd is is extraordinary but people that listen to the bestseller experiment have got the unfair advantage over everyone else right so i mean in the, <laughs> keep looking at it's about to, to get through that kind of crowded space it's about having that extra one two percent of of knowledge of understanding and listening to those authors that have done it and and patricia has done it in spades it's absolutely incredible isn't it to to think i mean I, the book i'm writing right now is thinking God, i wonder if there's a way i could actually 
twist the main character into a potential detective. <laughs> it was that I was that convinced by it. I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because a lot of the times, a lot of the times, people are writing protagonists who are solving mysteries. It's just they're not officially a detective. So I don't know if mm. you see. I'm trying to work out: is it that you have to have a detective in your books for it to kind of like? Because then you've got the series, and and you know all the TV shows have always got this detective, and Poirot runs through everything, or can you get away with it if you've got a kind of pseudo detective who's not actually detective by name, but is basically do, trying to do the same thing, but maybe, you know, not legally underneath, underneath in the underworld, possibly. I don't know what your take is on that. I think people like a mystery and, uh, you know, all stories I think are a mystery yeah. at their heart. They reveal themselves to the reader over time. I mean, you know, mine aren't detective books, but certainly the second book and the third book, there's a kind of a whodunit element to them uh so you know the, i i think but the thing is just having a detective isn't enough you know a character can't exist in isolation it's all very well having a detective but you have to throw something at them to bring them alive you have to come up with situations to test them and every detective you know there are lots of stereotypes and cliches and detective novels you know they've got a drink problem or they're divorced or they're uh, you know there's usually some backstory that that makes them dark and brooding or whatever but the the fact is you know if they're well written if the author comes at them as patricia has with a unique point of view and an honesty and a truthfulness to it they will be different they will stand alone and then readers will go i really like that character and i want to come back for more i mean i think if you recall, as Ian Rankin told us, Sir Ian Rankin, as he is now, yeah, in the episode that he did Ian. with, um, and I think Mark Billingham said the similar thing as well, which is people don't remember the plots. They don't remember the mysteries. Those are the things that, that you know, might keep you turning the page, but they remember the character. Mm -hmm. They remember they love Rebus and they want to come back for more, you know, or, or they, they, you know, they... They love Detective Lottie Parker and want to, you know, discover what she's, you know, dealing with this time. So, I, you know, it's all very well saying, yeah, I'll have a detective. But it's like any character, you know, you've got to uh, you've got to put them in a situation that brings them to life and test them and, and makes them vivid and memorable for the reader. Which yeah. is easier said than done, of course. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. But it is fascinating. And I do think to some extent because of the success of detective series on TV. I mean, you think through the ages. I mean, they go back like Kojak. And, uh, I mean, there's so many of them. You just kind of wonder how much of people's childhoods have been shaped by those type of TV shows. And, and that's why we kind of naturally led into loving these types of stories in book form over the years as well. I, I also think there's, there's a lot to be said. I mean, we mentioned Agatha Christie a lot on this podcast, especially recently. You know. Yeah, she's been uh, a I th big, I think big topic, hasn't she? <laughs> she really has. We should get her but, on the show one day. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she's available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just reminds me, I, about so 10 years after Robert Ludlam died, we used to get uh, requests for events with him. Oh, um, no, really? Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, Agatha Christie, I think, is arguably one of the, you know, the, the most popular and compelling authors of the 20th century. And I think she looms large over, over a lot of what people write and, you know, has been a massive influence on certainly in a lot of the guests that we've had on the show. So uh, I think, you know, there's something about that genre, like I say, the mystery, the reveal and the way that she writes and, and gave so many writers a template and said, you know, you know, beat that if you can. 
I think yeah. that's um, it's it's satisfying as well. You know, if you have a mystery with a murder and someone gets arrested and goes to jail, and the detective, you know, uh, that's that's that done onto the next one. It it it's a great way to end a story, and I think um, there's huge satisfaction for the reader in that. And again, that's something that brings the the readers coming back for more. Is you know that great? I got a, a beginning, a middle, and a really satisfying end where the bad guy went to jail. I'll have more of that, please. And we live in a world where the bad guys don't necessarily go to jail. <laughs> we yeah. live in a world where, uh, you know, there aren't many satisfying endings. It's interesting. You know, we we love Michael Connolly on this show, and his novels are, are wonderful. Uh, one of the books I read of his is a collection of his journalistic writings when he worked uh, for, was it the LA Times? He worked for the LA Times, and he wrote about true crime. And it's really, really compelling writing, but it's also quite dispiriting because very often the murders are unsolved. The, That's you know, right. the, the 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 killer doesn't get caught, mm. or you know, the the bodies are never found, and it's horrible, and it's kind of you know, it's kind of bleak. Whereas if you read Michael's fiction. The bodies are found. The bad guys go to jail. You know, it's uh, that's what we look for. It, you know, we've talked about f- how fiction helps us make sense of the world, and I think that's what crime and thrillers does really, really well. Isn't it interesting that in in the real world, uh, this idea of unsolved scenarios has actually created a whole new genre of TV programs around unsolved mysteries? I mean, it's it's fascinating that in the real world, that's actually happened. But they only they only do the crimes where someone goes to jail, you know. They only do the mysteries where mm. there's, uh, you know. I mean, sometimes you get like there's the mystery of DB Cooper, who's the guy with the sunglasses who hijacked a plane and jumped out of the plane, uh, parachuted out, and was never found. And there's a kind of mystery to that. In that, did he, you know, did he die? Did he, you know, did he go to Brazil? What happened to him? There's all kinds of wonderful theories, and that's, that's kind of like the Jack the Ripper thing as well. No one will ever know, and there's an eternal mystery in that, which is appealing. But a lot of those documentaries that crop up on Netflix, they only work because someone was caught and went to jail and confessed, or there was mm-hmm. some clue or whatever. They follow a very similar fiction, you know, narrative structure, which mm. I think is why they're very satisfying and again there's this huge boom in a true crime podcast as well i mean there's there's a true crime podcast which has you know become a tv show on disney uh, only murders in the building which is brilliant by the way and there's a second series coming you know so it's um that's what we should have been should have done was a true crime podcast do you know what i was going to say mark do you reckon disney would be interested in the bestseller experiment podcast where two blokes sit around chatting about books all day <clears throat> Yeah, it could run and oh. run and run, couldn't it? <laughs> For years, actually, couldn't it? Yeah. So well, if you're listening, Disney, you know, we are we are available to offers. And uh, as long as there's hobnobs involved, we'll, we might listen. Um, do you know, the other thing I think is really interesting is that with, uh, with, with books like Patricia, with books like Agatha Christie, I think one of the things that's really appealing is it's a lens into the world of scary stuff but with with Agatha mm-hmm. Christie for example it's never too much about the grotesque description of the murder you know, the murder happens and it's like oh that's awful but it's never so it mm. appear it has a much broader base like there's people that love to read gruesome and and, and you know horror books and, and where you you know you really kind of go into I mean Stephen King's for example yeah exactly right <laughs> yeah and you write you do films about it so much but I think when you take like the larger when you take the entire reading population there's a lot of people that just don't like to go there 
on some and but that's why i think a lot of but but they do like to also cross that line and dip their toe into a murder and then run away and go ooh that's that's awful but it's not you well, know and I, I wonder if that's why they're so popular yeah I, I, again it's it's safe that it feels yeah. safe doesn't it i used to it's a safe a murder <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly it's on the page it's not going to jump out and grab your throat uh no. but i do remember when i was a bookseller you you'd get people especially at christmas going I, i'd like something that's got a lovely juicy murder for my grand but no sex <laughs> <laughs> Murder, killing another human being, fine. fine. But the beautiful act of love, yeah, they they can't have that. They can't have any hanky panky. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Gran's, meanwhile, Gran and Jan is sitting there reading the book, going, "Where's all the sex? Where's all? It's always bloody murder. Where's all the sex? Right? We know what Gran's are like." The grands, see, the grands that show up when you're playing a family game of cards against humanity and ha- then end up explaining <laughs> the whole thing to you, right? Been Those there, kind of grands. Been there, done right? that. Yep. Those kind yep, of grands. Yep, yep. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, my gosh. Absent stuff. Well, uh, the other thing that I loved about what Patricia said is, is her experience of when she was going through learning, I mean, we're always learning the craft, but when she was really made that conscious decision, right, I'm, I, I really want to, you know, learn about how to, to create stories. I want to go in, I want to go into the depth about this. I want to study it. Um, that she talked about meeting these like-minded people. And we've talked about this mm. again and again on the Academy. It's like the like-minded people that make you realize you're not crazy. It, there are the people that wander around thinking about their plot all day long. Um, you know, it's it's it. We can't stress this enough about finding your your tribe of of authors of like minded authors. Yeah, very much. So. And one of the things since lockdown ended here, the thing I'm doing more and more often is just booking you know chats with other writers, going for a coffee, meeting people, just making that connection. And um, it's. Uh, you, I always learn something. I always, you know, you're making a new friend, you're making a new colleague, you know, you're meeting your peers. It's it really is important because it's it's such a such a lonely profession, um, and you're constantly wondering if am I doing this right? Am I allowed to do this? Is a person like me allowed to be published? And just having someone else you know, say, absolutely. And you're not alone. You know, you, you're not alone. You can always ask for help. No one wants you to fail and no one expects you to know everything. Um, on, on a slightly different tack, I was, uh, I, I belong to a few Facebook groups for filmmakers and there was a new filmmaker saying uh, their director of photography had mentioned some piece of kit and this person didn't know what it was. And they were like, oh, has anyone got a good reference book? Because I need to look this up so I don't look like a complete idiot. And what's heartwarming is the replies were going, just tell them. No one expects you to know everything, particularly on the technical side of things. Just ask and help will come. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't – there are – obviously, obviously there are dickheads in the world who might mock you. <laughs> but by and large, I find particularly with, within artistic communities, we've all been there. Yeah. We don't – you know, should I send a manuscript in with double line spacing? How big does the font have to be? Are there fonts that I can't use? Basic questions that – you kind of think, I'm too scared to ask that. I think yes. it's one of the reasons, again, slightly different tack. My wife's gardening YouTube channel, she always assumes no knowledge whatsoever. 
So yeah. even when it's something as simple of as as planting seeds, she always show you how it's done. She won't assume you know it. She go, oh, going up to the knuckle there and blah blah blah. She always makes it very simple and assumes no knowledge whatsoever. So yeah, it's um never never be afraid to ask because yeah. help help will be there. Well, the best best selling reference books in the world. What are they? The Dummy's Guide and the Idiot's Guide. Mm. They they knew that <laughs> that's what we all you know. Yeah, we prefer yeah. to like be able to approach it where somebody treats you as like. You know, you, you don't. Some people are very advanced in certain areas of their writing. Uh, you know, they might be very advanced in craft, for example. I mean, it's again another thing we see in the academy: people who've got um, you know incredible knowledge of craft, others who've got very little knowledge of craft. They're starting their journey, and we always say there are no such thing as dumb questions. And and the best thing, the best thing I love about this is that when we do when we do Q and As and coaching, you know, people ask. A dumb question in their words. Oh, it's a dumb question. Well, it's never is a dumb question. But the people who are advanced in that subject often really appreciate it because we also all need reminders. It's one thing about learning something. And again, this is why coaching industry exists because we can learn something. That's great. We now have knowledge. But it's not of any value until we put it into action, until we repeat it several times and mm-hmm. it becomes baked into our way of being. And I, I, I mean, I've been doing, I've, I've been reading personal development books now for goodness knows what, 30, God, 34 years, Mark. I can't even believe I said that. But I still pick up some of those very same books that I first read in my teens because I just need to be reminded I need to be reminded, even as a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I coach is because it also reminds me all the stuff I'm telling everyone else. So yeah, Mark, maybe you should be doing that yourself, <laughs> right? It's a really important part of it. Yeah, so- well, you know, I mean, if you think back to last week's episode with Joanne, Joanne Harris, there was something she said that reminded me of some, again, you know, we can't know everything at all times. You know, this is something where... Every book we write, every story we write is different. There are different challenges every time. There are different solutions. Talking about self-help books and one that Patricia mentioned, I bet this is on your bookshelves. The Artist Way, Julia Cameron. Yeah, Yeah, it it certainly is. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. No, I mean, the whole idea of morning pages, um, you know, is is a great concept, this idea of stream of consciousness. And... You people can use that concept even before they start writing. It's like, you know, just write. Often it's just about writing the crap out in some ways. I mean, that's not what morning pages is, but mm-hmm. if you're, if you want to, if you want to hit your stride when you're writing your book, sometimes just allowing that first page to be something you just write and throw away. Or if it turns out to be great, obviously keep it. But I love this idea of, I mean, journaling is a very important part of my life. And I, and I really, you know, empathize with, with Patricia's journey, obviously having been there myself and losing a partner with, you know, in a, in a time of my life where young, you know, had young kids. In fact, she had three kids, very interesting mirrors actually to, and lost her husband mm-hmm. to cancer. I lost yeah. my wife to cancer. So I think it's, um, I found, I found that I was really drawn to those, ways of being creative, which allowed me to kind of express things that I was going through in not necessarily a kind of a direct way. Um, and Patricia meant it, mentioned that she started to draw and I started to draw for the first time in my life. It was really weird. I just had this urge yeah, just to that. sketch yeah. things yeah. and draw things. And I found such comfort in that. Another thing was doing puzzles. 
giving you something to focus on right that gave you a sense of accomplishment something yeah. you could control and you could create the edges around and then fill in but gave you time to process and think and that's what the beauty of journaling is and i think every single writer i think it should be a law in the writing world that every writer should journal because you one it's a way of kind of releasing part of the um the expression often gets stuck in us. If we hit a point where we're really stuck in our writing, journaling about that, journaling about, and that's why, again, I mean, we're always mentioning the Academy and it, you know, but it is, it's because we baked all this into the Academy. We have um, a progress journal on the Academy and every day or every week writers come in and they write out how their week was. Was it a good mm. week? Was it a difficult week? What are they struggling with? What are their breakthroughs and 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 being able to kind of just express it creates such a release it comes from outside inside of you and you get it out on the page and as powerful as writing a story is i think when we write our own story you know through journaling what's happening in our life that's 10 times as powerful and unlocks the door into all kinds of creative things we were not aware of in our own writing as well yeah i've been keeping a diary for about 14 years now and it's probably the one thing that keeps me sane and yeah. similar to the the morning pages thing since i started writing by hand every morning i do generally start by writing something like okay someone's got themselves into a fix now what was the thing and it's me thinking aloud but putting it on the page yeah. and uh, you know the first you know few lines are generally just me posing a question um, and then I end up answering it and I find it's really, really helpful, really helpful. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. In fact, I always say to people, you know, never write down what your problem is, write down the questions that you have around the problem. Mm. Cause it's much easier yeah. to answer a question than it is to try and define the problem and then analyze it. And it's like, just answer questions, write the questions and then answer, give the potential answers. And it's such a beautiful way of just cutting through everything and getting down to the nub of what it is that you're trying to trying to you know experience mm. i know that um you know in, in, in some worlds like people at coding and say say a website breaks down you know instead of like going in and trying to work out they'll say why is this happening what could it be number one <laughs> you know and then they just yeah. start writing a list and they very yeah. quickly find the conclusion as to what what the problem is so some really really great stuff mm. there but as well i just want to i just want to put it out there as well to to people you know who have experienced something that like Patricia has gone through experienced loss, you know, I think writing, you know, it doesn't matter what, what, who, who you've lost or what you've lost, you know, it's all grief. It's all, you can all put it in a bucket and it's a unique journey that you go through, but writing is one of your most incredible companions on that journey. And I really encourage people if they're struggling right now and what all they're doing is is thinking about writing a book or trying to write their struggles out through their characters in their book. That's a, that's brilliant, but go that one step further and actually journal about what you're experiencing. You know, what, what are you going through right now? No matter how hard, and it, it could be anything. It might be financial difficulties right now for a lot of people. It might be worries about the future. I mean, who doesn't have concerns about, you know, what's going on in the world and the bigger pictures, climate change, what the world our kids are bringing up in. There's all these different things that people are latching onto and, and worrying about. Don't let it stir in your head because that just sends you mad. It really does. Like write out how you're feeling. And I promise you, even if you feel 5% better, 
that will that will help you through the day and it will help you to make sense of what's going on um and i just want to encourage people like there's there's a magic in it and until you start doing it and doing it consistently as well don't just you know try and try and pick a moment in your day that you do it regularly do it with your coffee do it when you wake up first thing do it when you go to bed but pick a time when you do it because that's how consistency happens otherwise you kind of do it every now and again and you open your journal and you think oh, i haven't written in months um so yeah just my two pence on <laughs> On the world of journaling. It's a very, very important thing. I think we should do a whole episode about journaling, actually. I think it's such an important... We should ask writers, Mark, actually, when they come on the show, how they use their own private journaling within, you know, what comes from it. I think we'll discover a lot of really fascinating stories. Hmm. Duly noted. Although we have a backlog of interviews running to October, so you're not going to hear anything about that until then. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think it's time, Mark, to dive into what's happening in the world of social media yeah you want some good news you want some good news you want yes. some good good wins excellent well um adrian chase who is at underscore adrian underscore chase underscore lots of underscores there uh he got in touch on twitter and he says been listening to the best sell experiment now on episode 278 come on adrian catch up and i've told adrian that he can he can sk- he has permission to skip forward to this week so we can listen to it he says he loved back to reality Thank you, Adrian. Bonus points there. Um, But Adrian says, your podcast has given me the resolve to publish my novel, Wayward Arrows. Uh, There aren't any positive gay representation uh, out here in Malaysia. So uh, Adrian has written his uh, LGBTQ uh, novel, Wayward Arrows, published it in Malaysia, which, you know, is a part of the world that might not be as as open-minded as uh, when it comes to gay folk as uh, perhaps some other parts of the world. And in particular, you know, this is Pride Month as well. So uh, go check that out. Go support Adrian. Uh, we're, this this just made my day because this podcast has all been about people whose voices who might not otherwise be heard uh, stepping up, telling their story, telling their you know, showing us how they see the world. And you know, we talked earlier about you know we love a book with a juicy murder. Here's a book about love. What's Brilliant. greater than love? So uh, wayward arrows, and thank you so much for that, Adrian. And uh, good luck with that. We've got everything crossed for you. Fantastic, um, Adrian. Derek Miller got in touch, uh, and this was on email. And uh, Derek uh, says, uh, after a long year, I have a win. And Derek's part of the uh, Bestseller Academy. Um, but he says he's been busy. He's been working on a special project. Uh, Derek's uh, mother is uh, is an author as well. And Derek works for a publishing company. And they have a movie coming out on the Hallmark Channel. And it's called Mariah's Lighthouse, love with a French twist. Have you? Because uh, uh, the Hallmark Channel is an astonishing phenomenon. The it amount is. of movies they put out, sort of TV movies, is just incredible, and uh, they're always an event. So, huge congratulations to Derek and his mum on uh, on that. That's just absolutely incredible. brilliant, Derek. Derek. I, I mean, it's fantastic. And as, I don't know if you know this, Mark, but we I've been living in a Hallmark world. For the last four years, five years, because the place I live, yeah, the place I live in Vancouver Island, uh, one of the flagship series on Hallmark, Chesapeake Shores, based in Boston, obviously east coast of uh, US, being filmed in the west coast of Canada, uh, is literally taken over our town. I, 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 a couple of things. 
you'd go down to the right. beach and walk along the beach walk and suddenly you're in this marketplace and you're like, what's going on? And, and it's part of the show and they're all off on lunch <laughs> and you're thinking, well, where's all the vendors? And the other night, I, I kid you not, I got woken up at midnight on a Tuesday night and they did warn us in the press, but they were letting fireworks off down at the beach for the big finale of the of the season, right. season six. And the whole of the town woke up going, what the bloody hell? Oh, oh it's a flimming filming. So it's just like, <laughs> I'm living in a mini Hollywood. It's so random. It's absolutely random. It's like, and I, you know, you get to see all of the town that we live in like every, every week on Hallmark. But yeah, it's massive. It's an absolute phenomenon. Brilliant. There you go. Cool. Find out if something similar happened up the road here in Margate. Uh, which is not far from me. Sam Mendes has been filming his new film there and they had Ooh. a big fireworks thing and had to warn everyone and say they were going to... But the other thing they did is they put um, lighting all around the beach, uh, beachfront in Margate, sort of street lighting, like fairy lights almost. Um, and uh, the town council have decided to keep them. They're like, we like that. That's really nice. It's a nice touch. We'll have that. Thank you very much. So <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, but anyway, look, this is social media. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this isn't all about you know making movies. Uh, you know, if you're thinking, crikey, you know, that's a beyond my reach. Well, wins. We want to hear all your wins. Some of them are as simple as starting a website. So Kate Baker, who again, member of the Academy and the BXP team on Facebook, uh, she set up her own website. She said, "I did a thing and I have a new website. Uh, there's not much to see there yet." But, uh, you know, she's uh, she's sharing her journey with us. And we always say it's so important to get that little flag in the Internet, you know, because Facebook, Twitter, these things come and go. Uh, but as long as you've got your own corner of the Internet. So so do check out uh, KateFrancisBaker.com if you want to find out more about Kate's writing uh, and uh, and her journey to publication. Brilliant. And uh, on Twitter, Dale Tedder uh, got in touch. He said, I'm going to join this challenge. This is the 200 words a day challenge. So check out the hashtag 200 words a day. Uh, I'm going to join this challenge and see how many words a day I can work up. So welcome to the gang, Dale. And that's at Tedder Dale on, uh, on Twitter there. Bec uh, you know, we're, we're with you every day there. Keep banking those words. And as you saw with Patricia, our guest today, that right everyday thing makes all the difference. I do it and lots, lots of our listeners listeners do as well so can it does there, yeah and if you want to register for that it's a free writing challenge 200 wordchallengecom fantastic stuff and a really really heartwarming piece of news now one of our longest uh serving listeners and supporters of the podcast robin sarty uh she writes uh under the name Ali jacobs and she put the, this is the post I know has been coming for many, many years. I knew it was just a matter of time. But Robin finally posted it, said, Exciting news. My sister, cough, cough, me, cough, Arlie Jacobs, has signed a six-book publishing deal with Conundrum Publishing. The first book will be out in August 2022 with two more soon after. As always, thank you. Well, she says, she thanks us, but it's the whole it's listeners, it's the BXP group, it's the Academy, um, for, for the belief that my story, stories were worth writing. They absolutely were. I knew it was just going to be a matter of time. And huge congrats to you, Robin. Oh, that is just makes my day to hear that because Robin has been one of the hardest working <laughs> 
one of the hardest yeah. working people yeah. I know out there. And, and Robin, you know, the first year of the academy, she was there helping us out. She was a member of the academy. She she was such a yes. great community member. And, and a big shout out, I mean, on this point as well, you talked earlier about going out and, you know, finding your like-minded people. Like Robin has been completely central to so many of the things you know the communities on this and always always willing to to lend a hand and give give advice and so couldn't couldn't have happened to a nicer person so congratulations robin and you fully deserve every success you're getting from that brilliant stuff brilliant well mr well mr state i just can't keep up i've got more i've got more oh my gosh I've got more. I've got, I've got two more. I've got two more. I told you it's a bumper, bumper round. Just a couple of things very quickly. One, we mentioned Jan Carr, again, member of the BXP group, longtime Patreon supporter. Uh, she had a launch party for her uh, Wonder Girls books. And what's lovely is Andrew Chapman, who, of course, recently wrote a book in a day, and uh, uh, Rachel, uh, they went along to uh, Jan's launch. So we got we got people meeting in the real world and having book launches and all that sort of wonderful thing. So big congrats on on your book launch there, Jan, and uh, support from from the BXP team. And most people, I don't know who knows this, but we have an unofficial unofficial bestseller experiment uh, book group and authors group over on Facebook. And uh, Steve Gowland, he recently interviewed Angela Nurse, Angela C. Nurse. So uh, this is, you know, two of our authors on the BXP group, people who, when the podcast first started, hadn't written a book. They're now writing books. They're getting reviews. They're interviewing each other. They're doing all sorts of exciting stuff. We've been going five and a half years now, Mm. and it's just wonderful seeing people that have come on this journey and are now supporting each other and now doing these wonderful things and going off and doing their own thing it's just amazing it's just you know it's lovely isn't it it's absolutely it's a wonderful thing to see how you plant a seed folks you plant the seed and one day you might get a garden and i think you know think about that in your own writing career what you're doing today is about planting that garden and you know man the harvests once they start coming like there's so many things to yeah. celebrate today and it's it's hard the thing the thing that excites me about all this mark is we hear about all these incredible stories from people that actually write in and tell us which is probably less than one percent i reckon tiny people, percentage yeah. tiny yeah, percentages yeah, yeah, yeah. so to everyone out there in the world where things are happening number one congratulations brilliant brilliant but number two you've now got a duty you now have to pay it forward by inspiring <laughs> others. And that's what this podcast is all about. We want to hear about your successes because we want to be able to, ins- for, for your successes, to inspire people who are kind of where you maybe were two, three years ago. Maybe you've been with us a long time on the podcast. And, you know, think back to those early days where you were struggling to, you know, know what to do. It's time to pay it forward. So if you've had a success, don't be shy. This is not the place. The bestseller mm. experiment is not the place to be humble. Don't be coy. It, it, don't be nope. coy. It's about <laughs> celebrating. This is life, folks. Like, let's not wait. Do you know what really I find really fascinating, Mark, is that the one point that we usually celebrate someone's life is when, when they're no longer around. It's yes. like, let's celebrate this. Like, who, like you, everyone misses their best party, which is where people get up and say lovely things about them. <laughs> they're not there. They're in a yeah. coffin or an urn, yeah. right? I mean, the point is, is that this is about life and we have to celebrate the wins as they happen. So folks, 
It's, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to get really, 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 really stern about this now, Mr. Stay. It is time to celebrate your successes. We want to know about them. Tell us about everything that's <laughs> happening because this is life, folks. It's happening right now. And if you don't learn to celebrate your milestones, you'll miss, you'll miss out on some of the best moments of your life. Honestly, they'll just whoosh by you like those deadlines. You've got to celebrate. So tell us. Write us, write to us on the website. You go to the website, you click on the contact us form that comes to me and Mark. We read every single email we get. Um, put, you know, Twitter channel, you can, you can send us a message there. If you don't want to do publicly, send us a, a private message or a PM if you're cool. Um, all that kind of stuff. Just, just get, get us your news and we'll celebrate it on the podcast. All right. Rant over, Mark. Can't believe I have to rant about that, but you do. I, you have to kick people's butts mm. sometimes. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when he gets angry, don't you, oh. listeners? Right, if, if you want to drop us a line, as Mr. D said, uh, there's a contact tab on the website or come to Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, or Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. Slide into our DMs, drop us a line. Uh, if you've been inspired by Patricia and any of the authors that have been on this podcast and you, uh, you want to spread the word, spread the word, tell your friends, but also subscribe, give us a rating, review us, uh, say nice things, and then we can keep on doing this and, uh, you know, support some patreon or come to the academy a big thank you as always to jd our editor who uh is amazing as always thank you jd so yeah. thanks for listening folks absolutely and don't forget folks if you want to we should all, we do mention this occasion there's a book we have a book out called back to reality if you haven't had a chance to yeah. listen to it or read it it's there on amazon and um people are enjoying it so do check it out you know what there's there's a book in the new york times bestsellers that's very very similar uh premise to our book and mm. uh, so i think i think timing wise we might have been a few years too early apparently the 90s are coming back now so uh, uh well you know, no, we, no we're uh, not yeah. too early we just prepared mark we've got it there waiting yes. <laughs> waiting for the fashion to catch up with us you know as Absolutely. i always said one yeah. day one day it's gonna go bonkers yeah. um and I also like to say to everyone that if you if you enjoy listening to Mark and I rant on about this stuff, but if you if you get inspired by by this show, if you get inspired by what we what we talk about, then come and join us on the Bestseller Academy because you will get this and in spades. I'm not kidding you. What we do on the Academy is is bonkers, and not only that, but you get to meet all these other incredible writers, incredible community. Um, it's a it's a it's a life passion for Mark and I now. So please come and join us. Um, but we can only take on a limited number of people. So pop over to the website, get your name and application in, and we'll get back to you before the end of the month. So uh, that's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Mr. State, I hope you have a fantastic week, sir. Um, enjoy the so. gorgeous weather that we all seem to be having now. Um, now the yep, now very nice summer's here. officially started. Yeah, it's very, very beautiful. And um, I'd just like to encourage everyone, keep going, keep it, keep being inspired. And thank you as well to Patricia Gibney for inspiring all of our listeners today. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't know what that voice is. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Oh, bugger, it's you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really matter. I'd have just rolled Sorry. with it, mate. But uh, should we do the clap again? <laughs> 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 <laughs>